Hello everyone, uh, welcome to the ABM Voice uh, podcast. I'm your host Abhishek. I head the marketing uh, department at Recordtap ABM. Uh, today we're speaking with Nick Bennett, co-founder of uh, Club PF and uh, the host of the Anonymous Marketer podcast. He talks extensively about creator economy in the B2B marketing space, something that we don't hear very often. And has also written uh, the real ABM playbook. We're going to talk a little bit uh, about that too. So Nick's content has been like viewed uh, over 28 million times on LinkedIn, and uh, Nick has Nick has done like various roles uh, in the marketing space in the last 10 years. Nick, uh, welcome to the ABM Voice Show. Still to have you here and uh, chat about your unique experience in the B2B marketing space. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm always excited to do this. I love love talking about all things ABM and everything that goes along with it. So. <laughs> Nick, why don't you like you know talk a little bit about yourself, what you've done, and I think uh, then we'll just jump right into the show. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, my background is traditionally field marketing. So I've been doing field marketing for for tech startups, mostly in the Series B to Series D stage um, for the last ten years. Now, field marketing ultimately moved into ABM. I've built now three ABM um, programs from from scratch for companies. I've gone off to see very successful programs. I've done some customer marketing. And more recently, I've kind of doubled down on this whole event-led growth strategy um, and then the whole creator economy piece of that and um, launched Club PF a couple of weeks ago. So that's very, very exciting as well. Me and Mark Killens, who's the, the CMO at Airmeet, Mark and I have known each other forever um, when he was at Drift and HubSpot. And then we've kind of gone off and done our own thing. And um, we've got a lot more exciting stuff coming down the line. So Interesting, Nick. So, I mean, can you just talk about this people-first approach uh, that you've been talking about? What is it exactly? Yeah, well, I think, you know, so often companies have a very company-first go-to-market. And what I mean by that is the company is putting themselves before the actual people that work there. Not only the people that work there internally, but also the people, the prospects, the customers that are externally there as well. So what I mean by that is like, say, you know, you're sending out emails for first email you just nurture emails or things like that or personalization emails so often it will be like marketing at xyz company but it's not a person that's behind that why can't you put the person first so we've developed this people first go to market model and really it breaks it down into three buckets create demand capture demand and convert demand and it starts with the channel so you have the channels the metrics and the offers and then the overlaying piece which i'll get to is like partner-led growth piece but the way that you need to think about it is create demands really around about community led growth. Again, when you think about people, especially with like this whole pandemic, community, everyone turned to community. A community has really excelled and it's leading the charge in a lot of cases. What do you do with that when you create the demand in the community though? You have to capture it and that goes to member led growth, which is really around think about the audience that's there. You could call it audience led growth if you really want to. But it's the members that have been part of that community. Ultimately, you're converting that demand and you're turning it into customer-led growth. Again, we don't have to tell anyone it costs less to retain a customer than to go out and acquire a new one. So if you can focus on the customer-led growth and taking these three pillars together, you ultimately create a really strong metrics across the board. So what does it look like from an offer perspective? When going back to the create demand side, it's all about content-led growth. Content is going to fuel the community in creating demand. 
think about when you're posting on LinkedIn, stuff like that. Like everything that you do from a content first perspective and the person behind it is fueling like the creation of demand. And I've seen this firsthand for the companies that I've worked for, Airmeet, uh, Alice and others is I've been creating content and organically it drives people to submit a demo request, not because I'm talking about the company, but because I'm talking about giving value first, they're seeing where I work. They're saying, hey, I have a need for that. They follow along for years or whatever. Then you're capturing that demand through event-led growth. This is this is a newer term. Um, event-led growth is really putting the attendee first. Do everything that you do and not making an events an afterthought, but making an events as part of your seriously, as part of your go-to-market strategy. And then you go to convert demand, which is the product-led growth. Your product still has to stand up once you actually get these people that want to talk to you. If you don't have a product that can support all of that, you're not going to actually convert that demand. Those are those three offers. And then overlaying it through partner-led growth, think about the ecosystem. I mean, I'm sure you've seen this firsthand yourself. It's like, you know, you have all these partners, whether they're internal partners, external partners, like integration partners, however you look at them, there's still partners that are going to fuel this whole model. And this whole model ultimately still puts the person first internally and externally at the end of the day. I mean, this is interesting. I mean, I think this this is a, a slightly different way of looking at uh, uh, how how we would go about with B two B marketing. But like, how different do you think uh, this people uh, people based marketing is from an account uh, based marketing strategy, where uh, folks typically want to like reach out to very specific decision makers in a particular company? Well, I, th- I think it's actually I think you can overlay it because I think that you know so often. People talk about ABM as like, you know, a buzzword or the cool thing to do. Like when I was doing field marketing, I was really doing ABM before it was the cool thing to do because I was very much in a territory-based model working with the sales team. And for me, what ABM actually means is it's just targeted marketing at the end of the day. It's, um, you know, people just use fancy words for it, but it's just, it's a subset of targeted targeted marketing to a subset of accounts, whether that's 50 accounts, 500 accounts or 5,000 accounts it's still the same. Now, what matters is, and I think this actually matters more in an ABM model is the people first, because again, people connect with people, people buy from people. If you can put people at the center of everything that you do through your ABM modeling, people are going to probably convert a lot higher than putting the company first when you go to your ABM motion. And I think that's, that's where the big difference is. I know there's a few companies that are doing this pretty well right now. Um, we rolled it out at Airmeet, um, and it's it's kind of in its infancy right now, but we were seeing a decent amount of success with it. Interesting. I mean, so uh, uh, because it's so very specific, I mean, because it is so common, like, I mean, people-based marketing and account-based marketing is not so different. Uh, so why do you mm-hmm. think uh, this new term is actually needed? Why, why the need for people-based marketing uh, specifically, and you know, what are you trying to do differently in the B2B marketing space uh, with this people-based marketing uh, technique? I think it's. I think it just goes back to like the whole thing of just understanding people and caring about the people that not only work with you and for you, but the, the prospects and the customers. People are humans at the end of the day. Everyone has feelings. And if you're putting the company in the bottom line of the company first, you're never going to actually achieve. I actually, I wrote a post about this um, today about like buyer personas. And like, so often we think of buyer personas as like the end all be all, especially when it comes to ABM. But 
buyer personas are eh, you know, they're they're okay. And not to not to take away from all the work that goes into buyer personas, but what's behind the buyer personas? It people. And why not build relationships with the people? Because I guarantee you, if I said, Hey, I'm Nick, yo, I have three kids, I like sports, cool, that's one thing, but like that doesn't help you market to me any better. Um, it might help you personalize a message to me, but it's not going to help like change the game. But if you build relationship with me and we start to engage over content, we start to engage over events and we start to kind of have that whole you know, engagement over a six month, eight month window, I guarantee you I'm probably more willing to buy or at least take a demo from you um, versus you just cold pitching me on some type of cadence or sequence that you kind of personalize but let's be honest you didn't really personalize it uh, true i mean i think most of us would like typically go out there and i think just pick up three or four pointers out there and i think uh and just like try to like add that flavor into the email and that's the fact yeah. not true personalization uh, exactly yeah it's well it's funny enough like i was actually on um with our BDR team, and w- they were showing me uh, a recent cadence that they wrote for top top accounts. Kind of like uh, we call it, we don't call it ABM right now. We're calling it targeted marketing, but like it's a subset of accounts that we're trying this specific new messaging for. And I'm the buyer persona of it, if you want to call it buyer persona. And they said, "Hey, can you give me feedback on all of our messages?" And I told every single one of them, I said, "These these are not great." I said, "I can I can tell you, any marketer that reads these is going to hit spam, and they're going to hit delete because all you did was change one word or one line of personalization, and like that's not that's not really personalization at the end of the day." And I said, "It's not how you actually get to build relationships with people and get to know someone." And so I gave them a bunch of pointers and they came back and actually rewrote everything. And um, it's a lot better now. And again, you just, you know, sometimes when you're younger and it's like, you know, if you're a BDR or SDR, you're like, you know, you don't, maybe you have never sold into marketing before, or maybe you don't know the marketing persona or like the people who are in marketing. And again, you have to meet your buyers where they are ultimately and get to build those relationships. And I can tell you that most marketers that I know are on LinkedIn and other social media platforms. Why not engage with them? Because I guarantee you that if you're sh- if you show up on my posts every single day and you're commenting and you're adding value, I'm gonna remember I'm gonna remember your name. And when you do send me an email, I'm gonna be like, oh hey, we 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 engage back and forth on LinkedIn for like five months. You know what? Hey, I'm not the person for you, but I'm gonna tell you who is the person that you probably want to book a meeting with. That's interesting, Nick. I think it, it's almost like you're saying that it's no longer B two B. It's it's about H to H. It's about human to human. Absolutely, yeah. And that's that's the way that I think it should be. And I think that you know, I think that you need marketing leaders, and not only marketing leaders. I think you need executive leaders that have that mindset and are open to modern day marketing. Because I think this whole idea of people first falls into like modern day marketing. And if you bring in someone that is trying to run the same playbook from five, 10 years ago at some enterprise company, it's it's not going to work. Like things change and the playbooks change and tactics and strategies and all that stuff. But ultimately the people don't change and building relationships don't change. So if you can figure out that and are bought into that and empowering your employees to want to go out and create content and empower them to feel like they have a voice, that's how you be successful in 2023. That's interesting, Nick. So, I mean, it, it, to double click on that, right? I mean, so what are the most common uh, mistakes 
that folks are making today in the B2B marketing, uh, go-to marketing uh, strategy? I think the big thing is, and I don't, I don't, so many people are saying like email is dead or MQLs are dead. Like everyone likes to say some channel is dead, but let's, let's be honest. Nothing's actually dead. Like, you know, I heard something a couple of weeks ago that someone was saying like webinars are dead. And for someone that has done thousands of webinars um, over my over my years, I can tell you that webinars aren't dead. It's the content and what you're actually doing pre, during, and post that makes it kind of actually very timely for people. And it's not about, you know, just same thing with your content. Your content's not for everyone. But if you find out who your content's for and you build that tribe with those people, you're going to have a lot more success. And I think people don't, People just like to say things are dead and like they like to like just write off channel, but they're just not using the channels in the right way. And they're not experimenting because they're still used to running the same old playbook that they've run for the last five or 10 years or maybe longer because it's worked for them for so long. Interesting. So what would you say to those uh, impatient marketers like who are trying to get results really, really quickly? I think I think you have to be open to experimentation, and I think that you have to have leadership that is open to experimentation as well. Because I can tell you, early on in my career, um, I tried some out of the box thinking type things, and it, it, it failed. And so many people don't talk about failures. That's another thing, but it failed, and people pointed fingers at me like, "Hey, this is your fault that it failed." But why not lift that person up and be like, "Hey, this might have failed." But what were the lessons learned from this that we can take forward and maybe pivot a little bit or change course and actually take this to a whole new level where it's actually going to work? And I think that's just the the piece that if you don't have leadership that's empowering you to feel like it's okay to fail at times, um, as long as you learn lessons from it, you're just going to run the same old thing because you know like, hey, like this worked for me in the past. And you're going to run it and you're going to run it and you're going to see less success over years because, again, things change. And right now, people that are capturing video and really doubling down on the video side of things are having a lot of success. In 10 years, is video still going to be super popular? I don't know, maybe. Um, but I think that just just like anything else, I mean, just like ABM, like things, things change and just the way that people talk about it, the way people think about it, you just have to be open to failure and be open to learning and experimenting different types of ways to do things. That's interesting. So uh, let's just try to shift gears a little bit, uh, Nick. And I think I just yeah. want to talk about uh, something that you talk about a lot, like the creator economy uh, like, and B2B yeah. marketing. Like I, I just see it as two different poles and like like two divers and like how do they even mix? And uh, uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the creator economy. I think it's you know B two C has done this really really well, and I think that you have like influencer marketing, which rolls up into this whole like creator uh, economy piece of it. But so many brands have always thought of it as very one sided. So like I would go to your company, or you would come to me and say, "Hey, I want you to create these six posts on LinkedIn, and like this is what I want you to talk about." You give me no creative freedom to really express like. Hey, this is what I want to talk about. I'll I'll talk about ultimately what it is that you want to, but let me put it in my own voice. And so many times brands try to control the creator or the influencer, but it needs to be much more integrated a part of your strategy. So, you know, good example is like, hey, say you have a research report coming out that you want to highlight 
and you say, I'm going to go find these five creators that I want to work with to help amplify the message of it. You say, hey, this is this is what I have that's coming out. These are the highlights that I want to kind of touch on. Talk about whatever you want to talk about. Put it in your own voice, but I'm going to give you the creative freedom. And then the creator is going to come back and give you kind of, you know, stuff that you could say, hey, I'm going to actually integrate that into my email campaigns, or I'm going to integrate that into my video stuff, or I'm going to go and have a podcast with this specific guest because this person actually brought up a really good point. So it becomes a two-way street versus very much a one-way street of the brand telling the creator. It has to be the creator telling the brand and the brand telling the creator and them coming together. Think of it as like a extension of your team. Ultimately, you kind of think of it as like a consultant to a certain degree. So the key is this, what Influencer Marketing 2.0 is? Yeah. So Influencer Marketing 2.0 is really kind of this whole thing of like being a two-way street. And again, like, you know, I'm writing a book on the creator economy and B2B right now. And I think that MarTech and sales tech are having a lot of success and we're at the early adopter phase. I think two to three years, we're going to actually start to see more mass adoption in those two industries. But I think, you know, manufacturing, fintech, healthcare tech, all these other ones, are definitely probably further out, maybe six, seven, eight years away. But I read something recently, it was a survey, and um, it said 88% of brands in 2023 are going to experiment with some type of influencer marketing. And I think that's a big telling point that people are willing to test because you can borrow trust and authority from the people that are already thought leaders in the space versus you going and say, hey, I'm going to go run a bunch of paid ads this month or turn up the search volume or run a bunch of email campaigns that may not actually convert. Why not partner with people? And I think that's a key word there, partner. It's not, it's not like you telling them, it's very much a partnership and you have to look at it that way um, to be successful. That's interesting. I mean, so Nick, I mean, how do you think uh, the influencer marketing in B2B is different from uh, what folks do today on B2C? Yeah, I think, you know, in, in B2C and, you know, when you scroll like TikTok and Instagram, it's like very much, you know, it, it's gotten a lot better. It's actually, the, it, it's very interesting, like some of the stuff that they're promoting. And it's like, it doesn't feel like it's an ad to a certain degree because it's like you, 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 which I guess kind of goes back to the people first piece. You follow the person, you follow the creator on these platforms. And regardless of what they're talking about, if they're promoting, you ultimately enjoy them and you're like, wow, okay, that's kind of cool. And I think the same thing is happening in B2B and I'll give you a good, a good example. So I've been creating content for three and a half years now. And so let's just say I posted tomorrow and said, the sky is blue. Now there's no value in that, but I guarantee you there's going to be people that like that post because it, it's, it's me. And it's like, there's no value, but because I've given value and I've, I've given so much to the community for three and a half years, there's going to be people that support you no matter what. And I think that's what we're going to start to see more in B2B. And you're seeing a little bit. I'm seeing more and more. I just saw a company, I forget the name of it, but they had a bunch of creators. They sent them a uh, box in the mail and they, they had them open it in, um, on video. And it was like something about like a CRM or something like that. And like, it was actually really catchy. And like, they were doing these funny videos from, and I was like, see, that's smart. Like, all they had to really do, which they're probably not even paying these people, is just to get them to like send them free stuff, play around with it, check it out, do a cool video. Now think about how many impressions, how many clicks, all that 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 drove on a pretty much a minimal cost. 
that's where things are going to head. And it's not very much like, hey, I'm going to go pitch your company. I'm going to deliver value around your category. And I think as long as you're strong in the category, you're going to be the company that people think about. Wow. This is something that I've never thought of. I think unboxing a CRM, I think, wow, these are interesting times. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And I think it's I think it goes back to like not being able to not being afraid to fail and thinking outside the box to try different things. Because I guarantee you, hey, if this didn't work, who cares? It's like when you post on social media, if no one likes your post, you you just do it again the next day because no one's gonna remember what you posted the day before. And I think that's just the mentality that you have to have going forward. And how did you how did you do that, Nick? I mean, how did you develop that mentality? I mean, you said you started three and a half years ago. And I think uh, if someone was starting today, uh, what kind of advice uh, would you have uh, for them? Yeah, I think it's just showing up every single day, whatever that means to you. Showing up doesn't mean that you have to post five days a week or create content five days a week. But showing up means that you're engaging in the community. And uh, let's just say LinkedIn is a community as a whole. So say you find 10 to 15 other, say, say you care about ABM. You find 10 to 15 other marketers who talk about ABM on a regular basis who are creating content. You show up on their post every single day and you're adding value in your insights. Now what's going to happen is people are going to organically go back to your own page because they're going to be like, hey, Nick has some really good thoughts about ABM here. What, what does he talk about? Or does he post any content? Or where does he work? And you're going to start to build that follower base without actually having to create your own content. And then you can get into it. I do recommend probably posting anywhere from two to three times a week as you're just getting started. But you have to engage. You can't post content and expect the world to change. You have to engage plus post and you can't expect overnight success. Like this is going to take, honestly, it took me, it took me between six months and a year before I saw any real traction. And some people see it quicker. Some people see a lot longer. But so many people give up after that three-month window because they're just like, I'm not going to keep on putting on in effort if I'm not getting anything out of this. But I can guarantee you that there's lurkers out there and people that are reading your content that will never like, they will never comment on it. But they'll send you a DM and they'll say, thank you so much. And then those are going to be the people that actually convert into opportunities for you. That's very interesting. So, I mean, it looks like the buyer journey has completely changed and I think no attribution tool can actually accurately depict uh, what actually happens in the real world. So, in this context, like, you know, how how does a people-first or an account-based approach actually work? And, you know, where do you think it fits and how where do you think it works the best? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it definitely... I, I, think, I think it comes back to, like, the personalization piece and going a little bit deeper. I don't think that, you know... For me, the most success I've always had is when you focus on, say, between 50 and 100 accounts and you say, all right, I'm going to go deep with these 50 to 100 accounts. I mean, you're doing website personalization, you're doing gifting and direct mail, you have VIP events for them, like you're rolling out the red carpet and you know everything about these companies. You know, you know who the people are in the different departments, what they actually do, what they care about you're engaging with their content, you're staying top of mind every single day so that you're meeting them at the right time in the buyer's journey. So when they are ready to buy or at least consider a product like yours, you're going to be top of mind because you've been everywhere. You're not pitching them. You're not asking them for a meeting or anything like that, but you're just engaging like a real person and building that relationship because I guarantee you over time, it's going to pay off. Is this also part of your uh, book, the real ABM playbook? I mean, it- are, are these nuggets coming from there? 
Yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I definitely I, I built it for like the foundational, like how to actually get started because there was so many people that were like, I want to do ABM, but like I just it it seems like it's so much work, and so many people think that you have to buy technology to make ABM work. You actually don't. I think any type of ABM program, 50% of it is actually building out that initial list. Like what does the list look like? And it can't be marketing or sales building out the list. It's marketing, sales, rev ops, or sales ops. Everyone needs to kind of have a piece in it. And you have to actually use data and analytics to determine what are the accounts. Like you can't just say, hey, IBM's a cool logo to add here. I'm just going to throw them on my ABM list. It has to be a little bit deeper than that. And I wanted to build something from a foundational perspective that helps people just get started to say like, hey, all right, I need to tackle this. It's on my list. Just give me the the, the framework to get going. And um, that's what I built. And honestly, it was the framework that I've used for, for so many companies now. And um, it's been very, very helpful for others. So uh, that's fascinating. I mean, that's good to know. And that it has worked for so many other companies. So if you had to like uh, just really boil it down to like, you know, hey, these are like two or three core pillars of ABM. Like what would you say they are? Yeah, I mean, I would I would definitely say it's just, I would say the personalization is a, is a big piece of it. It's just like, what is like the personalization at scale, which goes back to like the people first. Like it shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be just a random person reaching out or a marketing alias reaching out. Like why not I reach out? Say we're selling to field marketers, for example. Why am I not reaching out to those field marketers and offering up 30 minutes of my time just just to, to chat, just to understand like, hey, what does this actually look like for you? And it's kind of like, um, you know, account mapping to a certain degree where it's like your executives are matched together, your mid-level people are matched together, your salespeople leaders are matched together, and then you're, personalize- you're personalizing everything from there. I think the other piece is around meeting them where, where they are, ultimately. Is it, you know, say, say it's IT. Okay, maybe they're big in Reddit, for example. So many people like don't treat Reddit as like an actual like place where their buyers are, but I guarantee you there's so many people on Reddit and like you could find lots of insights and like engage again in the community, which goes back to like this community led growth approach, but it's meeting your buyers where they are. And then it's it's realizing what are the channels and offers that you want to run that are not going to seem like it's just like everything else that you run. You have to make these opportunities feel like VIP to a certain degree. And again, it's not about just like, hey, we just have to get 10 touches on this account to make it successful. We have to maybe do 20 touches on this account, but we have to make it very strategic. That's interesting. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, uh, that it has to be alignment between sales and uh, uh, marketing and like every other department that's actually going after this customer. Like, uh, how, how do you actually bring in that uh, uh, the approach of alignment, uh, because most teams tend to work in silos. The larger they are, the larger silos they work in. And like, uh, how do you actually break those silos and make them work as a one team? Yeah, well, I think that's I think that's part of the issue. There is silos, and as much as companies say they don't have silos, every company has silos, and it's all about how do you fix that. And it's communication is is the biggest thing, and building relationships internally, just as much as it's important externally. Internally, it's important too, and so. Field marketers, for example, sales is my typical customer. And so, you know, you're building relationships with the sales team. I'm having regular weekly meetings with them, having meetings with the sales leadership. What 
you have to figure out how you're going to make them money. Because if you say, hey, I'm going to drive 100 MQLs to you this month, they're not going to care because MQLs don't make them money. But if you say, hey, here's how I'm going to help you hit your quota for this month or this quarter, or here's how I'm going to help, help you get to President's Club, people are going to actually listen to you. And then they're going to be like, all right, that makes a lot of sense. And for me, I come from a sales background. Before I was in marketing, I was in sales. So I feel like I've walked in their shoes a little bit and I feel like I can understand what's important to a salesperson versus just being a marketer. And if you can understand that mindset and then rely on the communication and being a good communicator and a good person that actually values relationships, you're going to have a lot more success. I, I don't want to say eliminating those silos because I think they'll always pop up, but I would say like significantly decreasing those silos. That's an interesting uh, take. So internal communication and external communication and SaaS simple at that, huh? Okay. Yeah. And like, I've also I mean, uh, seen that, you know, you've recently launched uh, Club PF. I think, can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, like, tell us what it is all about and yeah. what should we expect? Yeah. So, you know, the big thing is we, we try to give, me, myself and Mark, we try to give a go-to-market tip every single day. So we want people to be like, all right, great. Every single day, Monday through Friday, I'm going to l- at least learn one thing. And this is exclusive content that we're not posting elsewhere as well only in here. And so we give that piece. We have weekly masterclasses around like PLG or customer-led or ABM or event-led. We, we bring different people in on a weekly basis and we just have a, you know, a conversation and we, we keep these masterclasses for all the members to be able to go back. We're actually going to be taking those and chopping them up into clips and stuff as well so people can experience what it's like. And then we have a monthly event and the monthly event's a little bit bigger, bigger guests, someone that's done this really, really successfully that ultimately puts people first through a a variation of whatever they're doing on the marketing side of things. Um, Plus, you know, they just have a like-minded other professionals that are in their space that they can connect with, they can network with. You never know. I mean, this economy is crazy. People lose their jobs every single day, unfortunately. But if you build a strong community and going back to that community-led growth approach, you start to build those relationships and you can be like, hey, I lost my role. I'm looking for a new ABM role. Do you have any openings or do you know any companies that are hiring? All of a sudden, you have these people vouching for you and it becomes a very tight-knit thing. We don't want to let every every single person in, so we make it very exclusive. And then we have a VIP tier. If you actually want like exclusive access to Mark and myself, we jump on, we give your go-to-market strategy feedback. We help you out with a bunch of stuff. And then you get a monthly call with him and I. So we dig really, really deep into like what's making your business business successful. And his lens is from a CMO who's done this for, for many, many years. And then mine is more from like the practitioner level. This is very interesting. I think it sounds like a community that uh, every B2B marketer uh, should go and check out. Absolutely. All right. I mean, uh, just a final touch. I mean, you've been podcasting for a while now. I think uh, it's, you've been podcasting for a while. And I think I see that uh, you're the host of the Anonymous Marketer podcast. So what what role do you think podcast uh, plays in the B2B marketing today? Yeah, you know, it's I, this is this is the second positive podcast that I've created for my personal uh, aspect. I've also created company podcasts as well. I think for the company side of things in B2B, it's a great way to get your key prospects, going back to the ABM side of it, get your key prospects on, get them talking about what's important to them, because then you can go and personalize an entire strategy based on what they actually care about. If you hear their pain points, if you hear about what their initiatives are, 
all these things. So it's a great way to, to get more info on key prospects, but it's also a great way to highlight your customers. Showcase your customers, showcase the success that they're having, all the social proof that they're having, because ultimately we know, again, going back to people buy from people, if you can showcase those stories versus your company telling me that, I'm going to be a lot more willing to buy if there's a name that I recognize or a brand that I recognize than you just kind of you know putting out another ebook or something like that. That's uh, super interesting, Nick. I think this is this is like a wonderful uh, conversation, and I think I think the listeners have all got like a great understanding of what people first actually means, and I think how that ties into the whole account and people-driven conversations and personalization that uh, uh, all B2B marketers today have to actually go ahead and do. So thanks for taking the time out, Nick. I think uh, this has been a pleasure uh, talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had a really great time. Thanks, Nick.